0: If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast. A show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then... You will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable. How to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you. If you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy, this show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Right when I thought we were wrapping up the open mic sesh, my buddy Joel Mena from Miami, a legendary uh, member of the UX community down there. He's a real community builder, definitely an evangelist type. Uh, he popped in, and we got to get in a good conversation about like how he's used evangelism and community building down in Miami, uh, what his thoughts are on category design, and um, I came in with a scalding hot take on whether or not Jerry Seinfeld is a category designer. So, hope you enjoy this little piece. Uh, it's just a small part of the open mic session. Feel free to stop by one of these days on a Monday. Um, come for the show, stick around for the open mic sesh, or just come for the open mic sesh at 5.30. Enjoy this little piece. Where where are you at on it, man? Is this something that you see a lot? Like you're somebody, you're a quintessential evangelist, right? Like you've been evangelizing UX in South Florida, bringing people together, creating content around, um, them, doing all sorts I'm, of stuff. Like,
1: what, you, I mean, I mean, yeah. I think that's a you know, evangelism is one of those things where uh, you know it sounds great and it looks great on your LinkedIn, you know, profile, but mm-hmm. I think to truly do that, um, you really have to kind of drink your own Kool Aid, right? And what I mean by that is that. You know, it's something that most people think about, and I've kind of gone through my own struggles with it, where a lot of times you feel like, you know, I've already talked about this topic before. I've done it in a certain way, uh, you know, with the same audience. But evangelism requires that, right? It requires this, um, you know, constant effort to make sure that even though you've you've shared that information or that message with someone, um, it's always important for them to understand that you know, it, it's, if it's truth, it doesn't go away, right? And that's one of those things that I always kind of put it through the same filter. You know, truth is one of those funny things that uh, it just, you know, it, it it has this tenet to always make sure that you keep bringing that to the forefront. And in my case, looking at it from the UX community side, um, you know, it's good practice, right? Understanding the biggest challenges that both companies and um, early stage founders have. Those are all part of the same, um, you know, same process that we go through when we evangelize UX in our case, right? It's really difficult sometimes because, you know, most people say, oh, yeah, we're we're customer driven. Oh, yeah, we, of course, we use, um, you know, the, the best practice of human centered design. Of course, we want to make sure that we learn from users. Um, but where you kind of make that difference is, well, in the last week, right, how much have you actually implemented that? In the last, you know, two to three weeks, how much of that work has really been um, the driver for decision makings? You talk about being user-centered, right? So what is the actual strategy that you're putting in place, not only to get you to this point, but what are the things that you're planning on doing and how are you empowering your team to make sure that they have what they need? That's Mm -hmm. when evangelism, I think, really comes in because on paper, you know, anyone can have this soliloquy of like, oh, this is exactly what we would like to do. And everyone talks through it. I think especially meetups and any other type of events and, you know, as an event organizer myself. Um, it's pretty easy to sit on a panel or to have a fireside chat and you know, kind of on top of, you know, look at it in a sense of you preaching to a choir, right? Where it really becomes um, you know, interesting is when you have to become an evangelist in an organization or in any type of professional settings where people don't agree with you, right? How do you deal with that with that situation? And how do you then become an evangelist for those who want to do the right things? In our cases. Early, you know, early stage companies hiring talent that are maybe not that senior because that's all they can afford. So coming in as an evangelist role is you want to make sure you become an advocate for those who can't actually voice it in the right way. You want to make sure that you communicate that across the entire organization to ensure that they really see the value. And that's one of those things that you know it, it builds culture, it builds trust, and at the end of the day, it builds results. But if you don't actually have that consistency, um, then I think it can very easily get, you know, kind of put in a shelf and everyone said, like, yeah, of course, this is this is what we believe, not necessarily what we do.
0: A really cool way to phrase the idea. So earlier on the show, Ethan was talking about this. Um we kind of got into the subject of like being a super consumer of your own category in order to be a good evangelist, right? Like and and the validation of that. I've 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 been I've been huge on I only do business with people that eat their own dog food, right? Like that, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do business with the carpenter that has shitty cabinets, you know, <laughs> for, for for whatever reason, right? Like if you really value it, if you're a master of your craft, like you're not going to be able to live without solving that problem. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Something nuanced that you brought up is the idea of how to evangelize when you are, I, you know, I, I feel like one of the reasons that we that we said on the show of why you need an evangelist is because the world isn't really doing it that way, right? Like, because you are, in order to like validate the need of an evangelist, it's because you are inherently doing something differently. Um, and I wonder how that relates to to what you talked about of when people don't see it your way. How do you evangelize at that point? I would imagine that that's that's when it's really necessary. If not, it's kind of like what you said—you're just kind of preaching. To the choir and maybe you're, you know, maybe you're like in a in a space where it is your community and everybody already buys in. So it would be a different role at that point. It's kind of more like insight-driven of how do we get more people to believe this thing versus how do we convince anybody or create aha moments?
1: So I think it goes both ways, right? So at least in my role, right, as a community leader, organizer, as someone who works a lot with startups, um, you almost have to evangelize with a, a two-prone approach, right? You have to evangelize for people who already kind of know and trust you and believe that. But when you evangelize in that audience, it's about having them believe that it can be done, right? Mm -hmm. Having them, um, you know, through examples, through case studies, through just your own experience, letting them know, hey, here's when I was in your shoes, here's how I did it. And by the way, you're going to face this challenge or that challenge. And it's not to say that, you know, you're going to know every obstacle that comes by. But that's where for us, you know, a, a big tenet of anyone who's in UX is empathy. And so when we talk about evangelizing and, and making something that is customer-centric, like the most customer-centric thing you can do is evangelize for other junior designers, right? And become empathetic to their needs and what they're doing. Because now, right, regardless of the context, you're able to meet them where they're at and you're able to create a path forward um, or at least help them see a path forward, regardless of what circumstance they may be in. So something just to make it very tangible for your audience, right? So an example of that might be something along the lines of, well, I've I've gone through a boot camp. I know how to do research, but my boss or the company that I'm getting hired to, they don't really, um, they don't really have a, a research department, right? Or, you know, they're really in a in a in a time crunch, which I don't have, you know, anyone who's working startups, you're always in a time crunch, right? That's not an excuse to not do things right. Yeah. I feel always was kind of like that's like the cop out. Um, but when you start to give them tools and resources and context around how to navigate that circumstance, yeah. you're basically evangelizing good practices in that audience. Yeah. Conversely, though, you also need to look at it from the sense of if you're working with a founder, right, or an entrepreneur, and they're like, yeah, no, we would love to do this, but, you know, we have a runway, and we have so many different other things that we need to prioritize, so we just need to build X, Y, Z. I think from that standpoint, as someone who's also, you know, a founder, right, or, or you know, an entrepreneur. I can speak their language and talk through, hey, how do I then evangelize that if you don't do this right in a way that is customer-centric, you're actually going to be spending way more time, effort, and resources in something that is not fully validated. So I think that evangelism I think plays both roles. And I'm just, I guess, I've been in a in a position over the last you know 10, 15 years where I've actually been on both sides of that equation. And so that type of evangelism, to your point, of you have to have the dog food. You almost have to also show, like, be vulnerable and show your your battle scars, right? Yeah. Be vulnerable, and show you know your um, you know, your your perspective as to how important that is, and not because you want to be right, but because if you don't do that, right, you're basically not really helping the people that you're called to serve. You're not really actually putting a stake on the ground and saying, "Look, like this is not by by any means it's not the best way to do it," because there's no such thing. But this mm-hmm. is what I've seen and what I've noticed. And if that can help you in any way, if I can empathize with you and make it about you, the customer, right? Or you, the user, or you, the founder, or you know, the UX designer, how then can we collectively build something that can help us move forward? And that's usually when you find that middle ground. And I think through that work is how I've been able to actually connect both enterprise communities, founders. And now I think the, the main uh, focus for us is people and product, right? How do we help them connect? and have a more meaningful career in, in an environment that they know they can not only grow, but thrive.
0: I miss talking to you, man. This is uh, you know, like how you speak is so good. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Like how do you see it from the, from the other's perspective is going to completely dictate the success and the communication and the impact that you're going to have. Um, I guess what you were referring to Ethan talked about this earlier today, it's like part of evangelism is like creating that aha moment for people, but also train the trainer. How do you, teach people how to create that aha moment to, to your point, right? Like how do you, how do you teach that junior UX person, how to speak in a way that validates what they're doing in front of other people when you're not around um, is equally an important role of the evangelist as it is to be out there giving keynote speeches and, 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 and getting people to, to agree with their point of view or, or uh, you know, follow along on their mission, man. I like that. Good stuff, man. Michael. Any uh anything coming from your end, bud? I think we're 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 coming up on time. I want to give you a little space. Here.
1: Um no, not really. Um just thought jewelry, raised some really great points, very relevant points, and the sum that works with SMBs. Um, what he's talking about, those two different scenarios totally relate. Um and yeah, totally relevant. So that was, yeah. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, spot on it was really good, really good. And and great conversation um overall, yeah.
0: Yeah, this is good today, man. I really love Ethan. Can I can I drop one more speaking point that I want to drop because I want to have it post produce and let yeah. you guys tell me what you think. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, category designer. <laughs> so I saw him. I saw him uh, last week perform in Jacksonville. Maybe the week prior. I, I've lost track of time. And as he is, as he was sitting there speaking, I was just like, "This dude is a category designer, right?" Like number one the ability to evangelize a point of view, right? Like the ability to like make a non-obvious problem obvious to you in a split second. I literally just watched them do it for 90 minutes straight problem that you didn't think existed to, oh my God, I can't believe that that problem exists. And I hadn't even thought of it that way. Right. Just like continuously doing it. I thought that that was fascinating. And I think that that's low hanging fruit. You could probably put all comedians under that, under that category, right? Like this idea of making the non-obvious obvious misdirection and how you deliver a punchline, stuff like that. Um, beyond that, I don't think that people have really talked to, I've never heard anybody talk about it, but Seinfeld was a new category of show. Right. Like the Seinfeld show was the first time ever that every character was kind of a jerk and you cheered for all of them. Right. Like I think there was there was the all in the family where Archie Bunker was the anti hero that people fell in love with, but everybody else was normal. Right. Like I believe that Seinfeld was the first was the first show of its type. Where everybody was just kind of a jerk and you just accepted them for who they are. With that Seinfeld, there is no there's always Sunny in Philadelphia or The League or these other or or these other shows that are really just based on anti-hero comedy, right? So I believe that he designed the new category of comedy and it's the only one that's referenced still, right? Like Seinfeld is stands alone. Beyond that, designed another category of show, right? His next iteration took a long time, but it was comedians in cars getting coffee. Nobody had ever created this like shot on uh, on GoPros. It's just a show about comedians talking, like basically a mundane conversation, going to grab coffee, different business model of a show, right? Like if you think about the, the levers, the, the triangle of category design, it's like the product is one, right? This is this like conversational in a car, getting coffee and going to a coffee shop. The monetization angle of it, right? The business model of how they are able to like basically be pulling monetization from the car that's doing it and that sponsorship, the coffee shop that they're hosting it in, right? Like you look at many, many different types of monetization and on a completely different medium, right? On streaming, on streaming television um versus network television, right? So design two categories of shows. Uh, and then um, and that's it. I kind of gave away my third point, which is this idea of just like, man, what's the deal with X is like classic. Uh, uncovering of a problem that you all of a sudden can't unsee. And it's a true mark of a category designer. So I was hoping to get that, get that one clipped out and, and share it on social media. But I, I just think it just really rubbed me that I'm sitting there having this like out of body experience of just like watching this dude do it over and over and over again. And I'm like, man, talk about a guy that can really evangelize a problem and make it really tangible in a split second. And from there, my mind, my mind just went down this like rabbit hole of like, wait a minute went down that path. What do you guys think?
1: (laughs) So this is why I miss talking to you, bro. (laughs) But I think, you know, and I'm curious to kind of hear Michael's thoughts, but um, at least, you know, for, for us in the kind of UX strategy, like business consulting realm, um, I think there's something there because a lot of the work that we do, whether you're running a, a design sprint as an example, right? So design sprint, and, you know, for those of you who may, who may not be so much in the uh, in the kind of UX or, or startup world, it's basically how you bring together different disciplines to get to the core of what's really happening. A lot of the same principles that are used in, uh, in comedy, right? Uh, the whole impromptu aspect of it, you never know. What, what the audience is going to tell you, right? And so when you facilitate these types of things, we leverage a lot of those skills from like game storming or different types of tools that are very common in improv, right? Like how do you make sure that you set up kind of scenarios, right? And through those scenarios, what's, what's true actually starts to come to the surface, right? In some cases, you know, at least, you know, from my previous experience, we've gotten to a point where, you know, you know, laughter, uh, camaraderie, those are things that can't be fake, man. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the part of that is if you start to see that chemistry within a small group, if you start to see some of those principles that comedy brings into any facet of kind of the professional realm, that's where I think for us, you know, when you start looking at creating something new or starting to see if a, if a team is going to actually work together well, like comedy and in general, right? Um, you know, different principles that go from one industry to the next to your point of like how he was able to take one category, bring it into a whole different one. I think it's just the mindset of a comedian that it just allows you to break things apart in a way that few other disciplines are able to do so. And then out of that, you know, if you have enough context, right, you can repurpose it in a certain way. You can build things that are so much greater than the original Um, that I think in many ways, whether that's Seinfeld or any of the other shows that, that you mentioned, what made it great was not necessarily the plot, right? There was no plot. There was no outcome that was required it was in the moment it was being present and it was the relationship that those characters had with one another.
0: Well said, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cross contextualization thing is, is, is real, right? Like I, uh, and it's, it's funny how, I don't know, man, the more it's, it's weird. Cause I'm, I'm getting, I'm like in my old age now, I'm getting weirdly obsessed with comedians and uh, and hip hop, like hip hop icons. Like, and it's just like, all I do is like, it, I, I don't watch a lot of documentaries, but if it's about the life of a comedian or the life of Kevin Hart, I'm in, I don't know what it is. Right. You're like, Oh, I'm sorry. The life of Kevin Hart or like puff daddy or the, the three part Kanye thing. Right. Like, um, and, and, and starting to see just kind of this, like, I don't know, man, I, Joel, you and me haven't really spoken much about category design in general. Are you, are you like up on it with like, have you read play bigger and stuff like that?
1: Uh, I had seen it on your, on your shelf. I have not. It's in my, okay. my list of books to, to, to okay. read, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the whole category design. I'm in web three, right. It's one of the companies that I've been working with. It's in web three space and it's all about, you know, category kings, category design. I think a lot of times it becomes yeah. this buzzword, right. But when mm-hmm. you think about, you know, category design, I think the good ones almost always, at least in my experience have happened by accident, you know? So that's the part that I think when you look at, you know, a very, you know, technology focused, like some of the best technologies and especially coming from a UX background, how people use your products, how you're able to see and provide an opportunity for them to solve their problems. And there's frameworks like jobs to be done or, you know, there's any number of, you know, sort of tools that you can use around that. But the best sort of, you know, category, um, killers, at least in the technology space that I'm familiar with Mm -hmm. have always come from just understanding what is, the need that needs to be solved and yes. letting the customer solve it for themselves. And now basically that becomes a category killer, which is usually a juxtaposition between two or three things matched up together. And then people basically making it their own call adoption or traction or revenue, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, we got a long conversation to have about that. Yes. I, I think we have a different point of view on, I think we have a similar point of view and we're calling it different things, right? Like the idea that it happens... I don't think it happens by accident. I think what it is is, it's just a very contradictory to normally people bringing out products are like in love with their product and they want the product to do this thing. Whereas the category designers is in love with the problem, so they just follow the problem, and the product ends up doing whatever it's going to do around the problem. So the product looks like an accident, but the domination of the category comes from falling in love with the problem evangelizing the problem, expanding the tent, um, you know, and, and, and doing it that way, like having a clear villain, doing lightning strikes, as opposed to like rolling thunder things um, that elevate it and then developing this ecosystem around it all. Um, But I think that that's a long conversation for us.
1: Well, it's actually much shorter than you think, because if you think about it, right, I come at it from a place of what do we build to achieve, to achieve that outcome, right? You're coming from a place of, how can I empower people to look at that vision? So I think they're both, and I think you hit it you know spot on if if you're looking at it, the problem as a whole, you're absolutely right. I think it's more about the, the, the direction that we're going. But if you're flexible, right that that experimentation process, if you're aligned to a larger mission, right, you can't fall in love with your product. So I think in that sense you're you're spot on and I think we're you know aligned in the same piece we might just kind of frame it a little bit differently.
0: agree, <laughs> agree, agree. I love it, man. That's it. Sometimes come to open mic sesh for uh, some advice. Sometimes it's just cool dialogue. But uh, the important thing is you are invited. Come by on a Monday at four thirty. And while you're at it, leave me a review on this show. Hit four stars. Thank you.